0: If we don't act fast, that would mean a disaster for our planet. Much more serious issues with food, water shortages, droughts, extreme weather patterns.
1: Unfortunately, when you look at the approach that has been taken, those that are not contributing to the effects of climate change are the ones that are feeling the impact of climate change.
2: We don't have another decade to wait for transformational business change, right? Like 2040 is too late, 2050 is too late. Let's work together to really change this.
3: This is Forces for Good, a podcast from Lab the nonprofit network powering the global B Corp movement. Forces for Good takes a hard look at how businesses are helping to solve the biggest social and environmental challenges of our time. I'm your host, Irving Chan Gomez. On our podcast, you'll hear from B Corp leaders, as well as industry experts and change makers. We'll tell you about what companies are doing to move beyond buzzwords and change destructive practices across industries. We'll ask tough questions to uncover how we can truly drive positive impact for people and the planet. The climate crisis is not a looming threat. It's already here. In the past few years, Deadly heatwaves, wildfires, flooding, and other extreme weather events have devastated communities worldwide. Too often, these disasters impact the lives of people who have done the least to drive climate change. Meanwhile, businesses are one of the biggest contributors to the crisis. And too often, they're not held accountable. But the power businesses hold in determining the direction of the climate crisis makes them key players in finding climate solutions. All companies have the responsibility to address the harm done and make changes before it's too late. In this episode, we dive into the science-backed targets that a growing community of business leaders are committed to achieving as early as 2030. We'll hear about tools that can help businesses adhere to higher standards of environmental responsibility and hold themselves accountable will also be joined by an advocate for farmers and workers around the globe who are already impacted by the climate crisis.
0: By 2025, we should actually peak greenhouse gas emissions and we should halve the emissions within this decade. So we basically have eight years left to make sure that we halve the emissions in order to have a chance to stay within the 1.5 degrees Celsius temperature increase.
3: That's my colleague, Brigida Nemec, Senior Manager of Environmental Standards at BLAB. She says businesses have to act immediately to prevent climate change from getting worse. Without action, by the year 2100, scientists say the Earth could warm by up to three degrees Celsius above pre-industrial levels.
0: That could mean a disaster for our planet. Much more serious issues with food, water shortages, water scarcity, droughts, extreme weather patterns.
3: In addition to seeing the effects of climate change in nature, people will start seeing them on grocery store shelves and in their wallets. Experts say that the climate crisis will lead to an economic crisis as well, affecting livelihoods, supply chains, and the costs of products and services. In many parts of the world, this is already an everyday reality. So what can businesses do to address climate change and prevent it from getting worse?
0: I think first and foremost, each company needs to understand their impact, like to do a thorough analysis. What are the hotspots? And not just looking at their operations, but their entire value chain as well. So up and downstream to understand Where do they contribute to the greenhouse gas emissions and the current crisis the most? Because that will also define where they need to put their efforts in.
3: Any business, no matter the size, can do a self-examination of how their actions contribute to the emission of greenhouse gases, like carbon dioxide and methane. They also have to evaluate other drivers of climate change, including deforestation, biodiversity loss, resource scarcity, waste, and overconsumption. Once they do, they can put the results into action. Brigida says if they find issues elsewhere in their value chain, they can engage with suppliers and customers to decrease waste and emissions. If the hotspots are in their own operations or manufacturing, it is on them to change their production processes. I
0: think transparency is key. Really need to see what does the company disclose about this? For instance, do they share an analysis of their carbon footprint? Do they know and do they share where the hotspots are in terms of emissions in their entire value chain? Did they make any commitment? And if so, is that commitment about their own operations only or also including emissions that come from their value chain uh, upstream or downstream.
3: Two key commitments organizations should make are achieving net zero emissions or becoming carbon neutral. These are ways of limiting or lessening greenhouse gas outputs.
0: Of course companies have also a key role and contribution to the current crisis that we face. Here we know that the hundred energy companies In the world today, they contributed about 70% of the greenhouse gas emissions.
3: If a company has net zero emissions, that means they're balancing the greenhouse gas emissions they put out with the amount they remove. We'll get into how they can remove greenhouse gases later in the show. Carbon neutral is a similar concept where carbon output and removal are balanced. Net Zero takes it a step further by taking all greenhouse gases into account.
0: We also need to see actions as well. Do they disclose what their plans are and how they are making progress on it?
3: Brigida says commitments are great, but consumers also need to demand accountability from businesses and ask them to demonstrate real action.
0: We can't afford just to postpone the action, right? So uh, it's not enough that a company commits to reduce their emissions to what you would call a net zero by 2050, but we also want to make sure that there is also a short-term or near-term target as well that they are working towards and they are regularly disclosing their progress.
3: Sometimes limiting emissions can be costly and that's where a business's values and long-term vision come into play.
0: It's really about prioritizing the shareholders before any other stakeholders, which would also include the planet and future generations as well.
3: In previous episodes, we've discussed shareholder versus stakeholder primacy. It is the idea of whether a business operates to create maximum profit for its shareholders, or if it considers all of its stakeholders, including workers, communities, customers, and the environment. By changing the fundamentals of how a business operates and who it takes into account, companies can prioritize people and the planet over profit. So apart from changing their corporate governance, what can businesses do now?
0: Since we know that we have limited time, reduce, 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 so basically immediately start with the decarbonization if companies haven't started yet and focus especially on the key areas where they can make the biggest impact. And it's also very important to actually have some targets in place.
3: Changing systems and meeting targets take time, but businesses can put their money where their mouth is by investing in climate mitigation projects.
0: So they can invest, for instance, in a reforestation project, or in a project that's about improved soil management, for instance, in order to make sure that, if you talk about soil, that we can capture and sequester carbon in the healthy soil.
3: is talking about carbon offsets. These are investments companies can make in other carbon reduction efforts to balance the emissions they aren't yet reducing in their own processes. But of course, there's still more businesses can do.
0: It's not just about mitigating and reducing emissions, but also helping prepare countries and economies that are already under threat to deal with the climate crisis.
3: Businesses can also play a major role as advocates. They can influence consumers, governments, and public policy. In our greenwashing episode, we talked about Patagonia's 2011 campaign, Don't Buy This Jacket where they ask consumers to consider their purchasing habits This campaign is often used as one of the best examples of how businesses can put planet over profits Some companies have focused their whole business model on climate advocacy Bina Harbaugh is the director of sustainability at Sendel
2: Every day I wake up and get to work on how the company can have the least harm on the people on the planet and the most positive impact for people on the planet.
3: Sendal is a carbon neutral shipping company and a certified B corporation.
2: It's reducing the harm of shipping, leveling the playing field to serve small businesses, and then transforming the shipping industry from kind of a dirty high polluting industry to the kind of clean network that our economy needs. So we stitch together a network of existing couriers and shipping companies to create a robust and resilient shipping network that offers small businesses better rates and services than what's out there.
3: Sendle partners with couriers and works with them to lower emissions.
2: So we can't get to net zero just through like our own control. We have to get to net zero by working with partners. And it's interesting because the shipping industry in some ways is, you know, this kind of magical thing where you order something online and it can arrive at your door really quickly sometimes, but it's also pretty like inefficient, kind of stodgy.
3: Vina's job is to find the paths to net zero. Right now, Sandal purchases carbon offsets to make up for the emission caused by each package shipment. And that makes a business carbon neutral. But the ultimate goal is to lower emissions to almost zero.
2: We've done everything possible within our shipping network to reduce emissions, not just offset them. So what that means in a practical day-to-day basis for me means getting really granular with our emissions calculations to understand, hey, what's our starting point here for the emissions? And then figuring out, if our end goal is net zero. And by 2030, which is not that far from now, What are the kind of transformative changes that we need to make?
3: Some of those changes are pretty basic, like optimizing shipping routes and using more efficient electric vehicles. But others are more major, like changing people's attitudes and need for instant delivery.
2: The shipping industry is operating on the speed extreme that is really pushing ecological limits beyond what's necessary. And so obviously, like, there's some times where you... You need something right away, a gift for your friend, That you know, the birthday's tomorrow. Like, makes sense, right? You need that fast. But a lot of the things we don't need right away. And so I think shifting consumers now can shift their behavior by opting for a slower shipment when that's possible.
3: Change is urgently needed in our consumption patterns. The shipping industry is a huge part of this
2: shipping, transportation and logistics accounts for 17% of global greenhouse gas emissions. The shipping piece of that is about 3%, but it's expected due to this shift in consumer behavior for that to increase to 17% alone, just shipping. And so shipping is kind of a dirty industry already and it's really headed in the wrong direction and will become a significant climate impact if we don't manage it now.
3: Dina gives a good example of how your one or two online orders per week quickly add up to have a major impact on the planet.
2: A simple way that you can look at that is on my street, I see five different trucks come deliver products to people's doors. And they're not these like small, efficient vehicles. They're these big trucks with lift gates that can barely turn around. So to me, that is just like such a clear example of like, The shipping industry was still built for a different time. That truck was built for a time where that was going to a warehouse and not being delivered to millions of people's doorsteps.
3: When small businesses use Sandal, they get connected to a broader awareness of how their action drives climate advocacy.
2: Those small businesses get to pick a specific project that we're investing in on their behalf so they can communicate to their customers, hey, your shipping was carbon neutral and we supported this habitat restoration project in Tasmania or a bird sanctuary in South Carolina.
3: These are examples of the carbon offset sandal purchases. They've also engaged in some really visible advocacy projects. In one recent campaign, they've partnered with artists Lawrence Vallier to build a sculpture out of discarded cardboard boxes. Vina says the goal was to engage with consumers and challenge their consumption habits.
2: She chose a grizzly bear because there's only 1,500 grizzly bears, mainly due to habitat loss because of human activity. To be a symbol of you know the the kind of grizzly truth behind e-commerce that there isn't just cardboard piling up in your hallway, but there's also this really significant carbon footprint.
3: Sandal's goal is to lead the way towards sustainable shipping for consumers, their partners, and their competitors.
2: You're not just like going on this as a solo journey, but it really is like a flock of birds headed in the same direction together. And There'll be kind of immediate benefits from that, but also all of these surprise benefits of the ways that you can support each other and and work together that you might not have even thought of.
3: One of their partners is fellow certified B Corporation, Better Packaging Co.
2: They've released these really incredible mailers that are made from ocean bound plastic that then they're creating a market for people who are already collecting bottles and other things for them to collect another material. So they're able to increase the wages for those people. Those are really climate vulnerable people. (laughs) There are people who live near beaches. And so we're able as a shipping company, right, to promote that material. We'll be releasing sendle mailers that are made out of that. So there are all these ways where once you start working with a company, you can both really help further each other's journey along the way.
3: And they've also influenced competitors to be more sustainable.
2: In Australia, our biggest competitor is Australia Post, and we did a challenge where we offset a million of their packages. So people got little stickers that they put on their Australia Post packages. And through that initiative, they shifted their practices and now have a segment of their business that they offer carbon neutral deliveries.
3: Dina says pushing other shipping companies forward is intentional. In fact, they welcome the competition.
2: We offer better rates and are carbon neutral. So it's possible for any of our competitors to make that change tomorrow. And in fact, we really want them to. We want them to copy that aspect of our business. And part of why we feel confident and are comfortable with that is because we're going beyond that to net zero.
3: She says what sets Sandal apart is the impact.
2: Businesses can redesign their models so that in operating we are restoring the ecosystems that we rely on
3: we have a whole episode coming up on business advocacy but for now here's Venus advice for purpose driven companies
2: my biggest advice for businesses that want to take action on climate is one to like embed climate action into what you do right like we do carbon neutral shipping so That means that every package that we shipped is some positive climate impact, right? Like we're now at, I think it's 21 billion miles of carbon neutral delivery. Our growth as a company is like linked to the positive impact.
3: Advocating to slow or reverse the future effects of climate change is necessary and important. But in many parts of the world, The climate crisis has been a part of daily life for years. And these are often the regions that are least responsible for causing climate change. These are places that have a history of resource extraction and exploitation by colonizing nations. While the top 100 energy companies are responsible for more than 70% of greenhouse gas emissions, those most likely to feel the economic strain of climate change are people like the smallholder farmers and producers Kuvasu Aga Peters works with? He's an operations manager for Fair Trade Africa.
1: Unfortunately, when you look at the approach that has been taken, those that are not contributing to the effects of climate change are the ones that are feeling the impact of climate change.
3: This is especially true for the stakeholders Kuvasu works with. Small farmers who grow crops like coffee, tea, cotton, and cocoa.
1: So basically, these farmers, they do subsistence level farming. It's not commercialized farming. Farming that can meet daily needs or tomorrow's need, but not on commercial scale.
3: Most of these farms aren't very big, so Fairtrade organizes them into groups so they can sell their products in bulk together. However, even at scale, we're seeing significant declines in productivity, which threatens these small farms' livelihoods.
1: One thing I'll say is that climate change is real. And most of the farmers and workers who we, we work with depend on agriculture. And what we are seeing now for most of the value chains is that because of climate change that has been there over the years, we are seeing a decline in productivity
3: With this decline in productivity and the harsh reality of low wages, it is no surprise that people are opting to leave their farming livelihoods behind.
1: We're also seeing producers becoming creative and abandoning farming altogether because they want to go to look for different opportunities.
3: Fairtrade promotes sustainable agricultural and sustainable land management practices. They want their producers to embrace clean energy solutions. But more importantly, their goal is to build resilience so people can survive even if land becomes unusable.
1: We always look at how best can we position our farmers so that as much as we have climate change, how can we support them to ensure that they're also overcoming challenges and that they're able to cope with climate change.
3: Fairtrade has taught their communities things like beekeeping on existing land, and they've helped them switch to more stable crops. Kubasu says they've also learned something in return.
1: What we discovered is that indigenous knowledge and working with producers is very important in climate change prediction, understanding the weather patterns, and also designing what would be the solutions that help producers themselves address climate crisis. And through it, we are able to come up with a guide that defines what would be the key steps for one to take if they were to address climate change phenomenon in the global South.
3: There's a clear social component to climate change. When we talk about the impact it has on ecosystems, that also means human homes and livelihoods. All of our lives are interdependent with the planet. And If farmers are suffering the consequences of climate change now, sooner or later, we all will be.
1: The main reason why we need to have the voices of farmers and workers in this climate change discussion is that you cannot design a solution or you cannot decide for somebody without involving them.
3: The principle of truly listening to people most impacted by climate change to design solutions is called climate justice. Kubasu says to drive this forward, businesses need to champion the voices of these farmers and workers.
1: We want to see the involvement of farmers and workers so that there is fairness in how the decisions are made and that there is equal access to financial resources for farmers and workers so that they can invest in climate change mitigation and adaptation.
3: For people looking to support producers in regions economically impacted by climate change, making a difference includes looking for the fair trade certification.
1: The best way that you could support farmers and workers is by purchasing fair trade products. That means that when you purchase these products, there is market for fair trade products and farmers are able to get resources that they can invest back into climate change projects, but also importantly improve their livelihoods. Mm -hmm.
3: Pushing for action, not just around climate change, but for climate justice goes back to the idea that we are all interconnected, not only to each other, but to the environment.
1: I always think that what will happen if you wake up one day and you walk to a cafe and you find there's not that favorite cup of coffee or there's not that chocolate bar on the shelves, you'll definitely not feel good. And that's why we are saying that climate change is no longer an ecological crisis. Climate change is an economic crisis. Climate change is, is a health problem. Because when you look at the whole spectrum of how climate change affects its effect on the life of the farmers and workers, it cuts across all the spheres.
3: As we think about the ongoing climate crisis, I think it's important to not lose sight of our interconnectedness When hardship comes to our ecosystems and the people living closest to them in one way or another will impact us all But I hope this also helps us understand that by the same reality of this interconnectedness taking action for climate will uplift us all collectively in the same way This is true not just for individuals, but for companies As our previous guest Gail Bradbrook mentioned already, when we think about our role in the climate crisis, both people and companies must ask themselves, what is mine to repair? And let that accountability be our motor for climate action, not despair. If you'd like to learn more about B-Corps and purpose-driven businesses, visit Bcorporation.net and listen to the rest of our season. We have more episodes on how business can drive positive impact and be a force for good. Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever you listen. Your ratings and reviews help Forces for Good reach new audiences. So we thank you for your support. For more opportunities to engage with us, follow us on social media. The views and opinions expressed are those of the interviewees and do not reflect the positions or opinions of the producers or any affiliated organizations. The podcast was brought to you by B-Lab. Our team includes Sherry Jordan, Jude Wetherell, and Hannah Munger. Forces for Good is produced by Human Group Media. For this episode, I'd like to thank Kuvasu Aga-Peters, Dina Harbo, and Brigida Nemec. I'm your host, Ervin Chan-Gomez. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to catching you in the next episode.